So I want to become a dog trader. Oh, yeah? But when I look, I just don't know who to join. Yeah. It's a sea of acronyms, and it appears to be unregulated. <laughs> I want to know my money is well spent with me joining a team of dynamic, ethical professionals who have the same goals as me. I also want to be taught using the most up-to-date, science-led data. So where do I go? You heard of Pat? It's a place to go to become the most knowledgeable, skilled, ethical, science-based dog training instructor you can be. It's also one of the few organisations good enough to be a member of the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. The Professional Association of Canine Trainers, PACT for short, is here to help you become the best accredited dog trainer you can be. PACT gonna help you reach your goals. PACT is the place you need to go. Oh, PACT if you love dogs like we do too. PACT we are indeed the place for you. PACT it's time to take that leap of faith. PACT delay no further while you wait. Come find us at packed-dogs.com. Are you looking for the ideal gift for the dog-loving children in your family? Jack and Billy Puppy Tales is a delightful story with an important message for children of all ages. It's written by Steve Goodall and Sally Bradbury. You'll follow two puppies, Jack and Billy, during that all-important first year of their lives. It's had some amazing reviews from some of the top dog trainers in the world. Dr. Ian Dunbar, veterinary behaviourist, says, I started to smile after only four pages. I couldn't put it down and at the end I could barely read for tears of happiness. This is a wonderful book. Karen Tong, dog training instructor and child dog bite prevention educator, said this. This will definitely educate both children and adults about the correct way to bring up a puppy. It belongs in the home of all dog lovers and anyone considering acquiring a puppy. You can find us at jackandbillypuppytails.com and join the adventures. We're also on Facebook, Jack and Billy Puppy Tales. See you soon. We have some very exciting news for you on the Barks from the Bookshelf podcast. Our lovely friends at Dogwise, who publish a lot of the books that we have featured and are due to feature have decided to give all of you lovely listeners 10% off all of their titles. So if you head to their website, which is www.dogwise.com, you can have a look at their catalogue. And when you get to your shopping cart at the end, just type in the coupon code, which is BARKBOOK, all one word, B-A-R-K-B-O-O-K, and they'll give you a whopping 10% off. Enjoy! Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop till we're gone. Hey!
box from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and box from the bookshop and we're gonna learn to get your box from the bookshop we're gonna learn about our dogs and box from the bookshop howdy doody bookshelvers um, I am absolutely, well, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit out of breath, actually. Why am I out of breath? I hear you all ask. Well, a bit of a long story, but you know, I've got your attention. Um, a, a good friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, uh, grew up with him, went to school. Uh, we were in a band together when we were really young. Ben, he is a, uh, one of the head chefs at a restaurant called Offbeat. Now, Offbeat is a vegan restaurant. Um, uh, the one he works at is based out in the New Forest, but they're moving soon. Anyway, that's by the by. It, uh, it, it's an unbelievably amazing place. Um, if you're ever out in the New Forest, or I think they're just about to open a place up near Limington, I think, and also in South Sea. Uh, it was one of the, I think it was one of the top 10, 100, I can't remember how many of the top, but um, restaurants in the Times um before the pandemic hit um but anyway so ben good friend uh he uh sometimes he he'll put up on facebook uh we've got a load of donuts or other things that you know didn't get sold today at the restaurant and he lives near me he lives quite near me about 10 minute walk away so if i see those posts go up on facebook like a rabid wild man I am, you know, like, comment, yeah, be there in a minute. So I ran over to his house. Now, I wouldn't normally run, bookshelvers, but as I was walking out, I, uh, I I saw this huge rain cloud coming towards me. Now, I'm wearing my best hat. It's one that's got a goose on it. So, uh, yeah, I decided to quick step it. And, uh, yeah, it turns out I'm not that fit. So uh, if I do sound a little bit out of breath, I do apologise. Why, Steve, did you not wait until you got your breath back before you would record the intro to this podcast? I also hear you ask. Well, that is another good question. And actually, this is answerable um, because uh, today we are talking about a fabulous book called The Happy Dog Owner by Dr. Carrie Westgarth. Um, now, we we put this one out quick. We recorded it banged it out in fact this is going to go out i'm actually talking on the day that this is going to go out which is a rarity for me um uh because the book is out this week and it is a blinder so we thought we'd try and get it out talk a bit about it so if anyone wanted to go out and buy it um it, you can go and pre-order it on amazon or, or wherever you get your books from um it's wonderful it is absolutely wonderful we had a right old blast um uh, and I, well, let me tell you a little bit about the book. There's a great, I've got, I've got a, uh, a press release here, which, uh, I'm going to read you a little bit. So <clears throat> the happy dog owner by Dr. Carrie Westgarth, uh, a dog's sense of fun and their unconditional love can bring their owner happiness and companionship, but dog ownership will only transform your well-being If you are the best owner you can be, I think we can all agree with that, right? Through science-led advice and training techniques, human-animal interaction expert Dr. Carrie Westgarth will teach you how to cultivate a relationship with your dog that will actively improve your health, yeah? Uh, Learn to harness the power of your special bond with your pet and train your dog to be a canine alarm clock, cuddle on command, and get you out and about more than ever before. That's just a little snippet off the press release there. But I think, I mean, if that don't sell it, have a listen to the interview. It's... Blooming 
wonderful. Um, so let's give you some carry facts. <clears throat> So, Carrie Fax, uh, Dr. Carrie Westgarth is a senior lecturer in human-animal interaction at the University of Liverpool, as well as being a full member of the APBC, Association of Pet Behaviour Counsellors. Um, her, uh, her research has been featured in The Guardian, The New York Times, and New Scientist, and she has regularly shared her expertise on national TV and radio. Dr. Westgarth has spent 15 years conducting scientific research into how people interact with their dogs and the positive and negative impacts on their health uh, that occur as a result. She has helped hundreds of dogs and their owners match prospective owners with homeless dogs and new puppies, taught obedience and tricks, counseled owners through dealing with problematic behaviours such as aggression, and trained official assistant dogs to work with handlers with disabilities. Pretty wonderful, I think you'd all agree. Um, but before before we go into it, um, now I, um, I don't know if anyone's been following the Facebook pages, but I have been recording some uh, new music for the podcast. I have been blooming loving it. It's been great. Um, I, I've taken some suggestions from people as well on subjects there's going to be loads of these i've really really enjoyed it i mean uh you know what use or what purpose it serves so if you like them let me know that would be good but um this one so the idea is they're little mini songs uh, about dog quandaries this one is the uh, the time old uh issue of uh sticking your finger through a poo bag I put my finger through the poop bag, it's called. So uh, so you're going to hear this first and then the interview's going to kick off. So let me know what you think uh, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. I took peaches for a walk and everything was fine. It wasn't very busy and the weather was sublime. We'd done a few great recalls and practiced loose leader. But mostly we did sniffing because sniffs are basic media. And that is when it happened. I couldn't quite believe it. A million miles away from any washroom or convenience. My pictures did a poop and being conscientious man. I stooped down to collect. That's when it happened. Put my fingers through the poop bag. I put my fingers, put my fingers through the poop bag. I put my fingers, put my fingers through the poop bag. I put my fingers, put my fingers through the poop bag. What the hell am I gonna do? It's through the poop bag. I put my fingers, put my fingers through that poop bag. I put my fingers, put my fingers through that poop bag. I put my fingers, put my fingers through that poop bag. What the hell am I gonna do? Hello. Hello. Uh, we have a lovely guest with us, don't we, Steve-O? We do. There's there's another another face in the virtual land. Yeah, she's only wearing a glump jumper. Yes. Well, that's I mean, amazing. 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 We're going to have to get they're My the favourite best. item of clothing Aww. I bought in lockdown. <laughs> We're going to have to get a photo in a bit, I think, so we can share it with you. They're the folks. best ones, the neon coloured ones. They're, they're, yeah, they're yeah, the ones. Yeah. They are the ones. Well done. Uh, so we have uh, the lovely Dr. Carrie Westgarth with us tonight. Um, and we're kind of going off script a little bit because usually we do off the shelf where we just chat nonsense with people that we love. Um, or we do a full version with an interview with an author. But we're we're smashing it all together tonight. 
We're improvising. Talk, talk to someone we love about a book that she's written. So um, the reason that we wanted to get this out is because um, it's hot off the press. I know. It's brand so, spanking it new. It is. It is. The wow. Happy Dog Owner is uh, available from, is it next week? Yeah. Pre-orders 15. now? Yeah. 15th. Pre-orders now. So uh, as soon as you have finished listening to us or during, if you are a multitasker, <laughs> then get on Amazon or wherever you buy your books from and order a copy of this because it's brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, and Steve hasn't Steve hasn't read it. Yeah, I'm flying by the seat of my pants today um, yeah. because um, I I don't know anything about it. But I, we figured that this would be a good thing because I normally ask stupid questions anyway, and this time <laughs> I can I can ask stupid questions with a, with a reason because I haven't read the book yet. So I'm going to go straight in with uh, oh, a wow, really stupid question, it. Carrie. Uh, yeah. What is the Happy Dog Owner all about? Go on then. Uh, so the happy dog owner is all about the human element really of owning dogs rather than being just a dog training book it does have dog training in it and behavior advice but it's much more focused around why we own dogs the health benefits we can gain from owning dogs and the health risks from owning dogs that we have Mm. to navigate and try and reduce Uh, and how we can do that so my background uh, I am a full member of the association of pet behavior counselors and I teach dog training classes sometimes I used to see uh, behavior consultations as well but most of the time what I do now as for the past 15 years is as a researcher at the University of Liverpool and I do lots of research into dog welfare but mainly about the human public health impacts of owning animals so wow. dog walking, dog bite prevention, mental health and things like that. So I decided to summarise all kind of all of that and what this means for how we're owning dogs and how we can train them into a book. And I also used to be assistance dog trainer. So there's quite a lot of elements and thoughts around that within the book as well. Wow, that sounds proper interesting. That does, doesn't it? Yeah, Carrie's research is like, well, I don't think I've ever written anything that hasn't got at least one of your papers in (laughs) that's what that's what i hope i try and do research that i think as practitioners or policy makers we would find useful Mm. so because i'm kind of embedded in the field and i've been there i've done a lot of animal rescue jobs um training jobs you know uh, assistance dog jobs you know then i can kind of and i've got lots of connections in those fields I can see what those research questions are and what evidence would be useful and design my research to try and kind of have a real world applied feel to it. So yeah, that, def- that definitely comes across in the, the research questions because I think sometimes academic research can seem that bit far away from on the ground. I'm not knocking it, you know, some things are brilliant, but um, we need to be able to apply research don't we and and it's for it to teach us something about how we live with dogs specifically yeah and sometimes yeah oh sorry um sorry i've got it in no i was gonna i was gonna say um so who who would you say it's aimed at the book who you're looking for to pick yeah so there's a lot there are quite a lot of dog sciencey books out there but this is much more it it does have a lot of science in it but it is very much aimed at your general 
dog owner and hopefully to be comprehended by that. If you're looking for something, if you are an academic looking for something academic, this isn't the book for you. Although it has a lot of academic stuff in it, it isn't written Mm. in that way and it won't have the detail what it does do is points you to cites you to all of the studies that i'm talking about so you could go and look that up if you wanted the more detail um and most of the studies at least that i i tried to cite studies that are open access most of mine are very very rarely i publish a paper that isn't open access and freely available for anybody to use and most of the other studies that i've pointed out uh, are but it's it's kind of it's a collection of stories, really. It's stories about the research I've done and what it all means and how it fits together. It's stories about experiences I've had with my dogs or dogs that I've trained or people that I know with their dogs and how that reflects the research evidence, wow. perhaps. And it's the stories of the other researchers in the field and what they're doing and I have quite a few stories from them about their research and how they, what the meaning of that they think that is in terms of how we should interact with our, our dogs and how we can benefit from owning our dogs. And there's a strong theme throughout of the premise, which I think is really important. There's a lot of research about how dogs can benefit human health. There's a lot of research about dog welfare, but the two have to meet in the middle mm-hmm. and my ethos is dog welfare and human health can both be good if you get it right. Mm -hmm. And we can't just use dogs as tools to make us feel better and be detrimental to their welfare. So this is about, yeah, try to how to get your dog's welfare high and what you can do with your dog to help benefit your health as well, based on the science. I've read some fab, I mean, obviously since doing this podcast, I've read, god knows how many books about dogs which has been fantastic and there's definitely there's a few that spring to mind i mean clive Wynn's book dog is love um and recently read dr dogs by maria gudovich you know the really interesting thing was that was my original title dr dog oh no (laughs) (laughs) and the publishers changed it and i was really miffed Ah. and now i'm really grateful because clearly as i was writing the book proposal that book hadn't quite come out yet. And then as soon as I saw her book, I had this horrible sinking <laughs> feeling. But then I looked at the description and I thought, no, this is still really quite different. Yeah, it's like it she's is. taken elements of mine and gone into the big detail. They'd, the two books will work so well in parallel. That's Mine's what I was thinking. Mine's for the thinking. general pet owner. Yeah. And then hers is, okay, so that extra bit where I'm suggesting all the things you could train your dog to do to help with your help just for fun. Yeah, those things she goes into much more detail on about. Okay, so how is that? How is that actually working in real life? And what? How? What are the stories of these assistance dogs working in these scenarios? And then there's so a I real... haven't read her book yet, but I really, really want. Oh, it's fa- <laughs> it is really, really good. It is really, really good. She but... was brilliant fun as well, wasn't she? Yeah, fabulous. But it really pricked when when you were talking about what yours was about. It pricked my ears because I th- I was yeah. thinking exactly that as kind of almost like a companion to that book. It sounds really, really good because you're going that that one extra step. Not that she doesn't talk in that book about sort of like the welfare of the animals, but it's very bent on the effect that you know living with a dog can have on the human like side of things um yeah and all of that stuff is absolutely fascinating i mean um i'm we're talking to um i think his name is i forget here hang on got a bit right in front of me yeah jesse frieden 
who's just released a book called When Dogs Heal. I don't know if you've heard of oh, this okay. one. Um, this is about um, people uh, living with HIV and how their dogs have helped them yeah. like you know uh well how they however they've helped them in in any way shape or form um yeah. um living with hiv and that's that's really really interesting i've just started reading that book as well um that sounds good. yeah i, I the science seems to be coming out thick and fast about this sort of stuff at the moment is that is that your experience as well yeah uh, yes okay so here's where my book might be slightly different as well okay. in that i am a scientist i am naturally a very critical person it is part of my profession um and what is really an, an annoying about this field well about the media coverage of this field is that it's that dogs are wonderful for us mm. they can get us out of depression they can stop us feeling lonely blah 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 all these Lower things. heart rate yeah blah blah, blah. the mm -hmm. science which i summarize in the book is okay what's the actual evidence and the actual evidence is Mm, might do probably do in some areas make us better like um dogs probably make us more physically active there's only a very few studies about three studies that actually show longitudinal changes in physical activity after acquiring a dog mm. which is more causal evidence most of the studies there are a lot of them from around the world including my own but they're mainly cross-sectional studies so dog owners are more physically active but is that because having a dog makes you more physically active or is it because more yeah. active people like dogs. choose to get yeah. dogs? Mm. So, so yeah, I've got a much more um, a deeper critical lens on that. Say, OK, what do we actually know and what don't we actually know that is a bit of a myth? So physical activity, yes, probably. Uh, do they make us live longer? Mixed evidence. Mm. Uh, do they... Uh, help us with depression um actually most of the studies show that dog owners are more depressed yeah than people without a dog yeah but again causality yeah, yeah. i was gonna if say are we are aggressive person yeah. Yeah. yeah are you drawn towards owning dogs so although we've got lots of associations and mixed evidence the actual causal evidence is less strong but yeah in terms of physical activity we're pretty sure um in terms of increasing our social interactions with other people, yes, probably. Making us less lonely, probably. Evidence is a bit mixed, but probably. But depression, anxiety, all of those things, no, there isn't the evidence to support that. That's not to say that isn't the case, Yeah. but it just certainly isn't as easy and as simple as it's made it out. And as we all well know, just because you own a dog doesn't mean your life is easy. No. <laughs> yes. So that's the other <laughs> argument in the book is that actually it can be very stressful owning a dog. So why would we presume that it would solve depression and anxiety? It could actually make it worse. You know, you know, you get Facebook memories, right? From like a year ago, they pop up on your Facebook feed. So I got one today, right? I'm sat sat in my garden in this photograph. Okay, I'm in my shorts. Uh, I'm sunbathing with my little Jack Russell sat on top. Lockdown one. This was lockdown one. Sat there, uh, uh, not a care in the world. Um, I'm obviously existential dread of COVID-19 around, but no work. Sat in my garden, beautiful <laughs> weather, you know, you know, in the grand scheme of things, quite happy. Then we rehomed a Newfoundland about a month later. And I, I love her to bits. Oh my God, I love this dog so much. She is like my heart dog now. But 
from from that point to this point has been a fairly stressful experience in one way shape or form our house is turned upside down um you know we've had to divide the house up with the two dogs because the interactions are are being carefully managed because mm-hmm. big dog tiny dog um yeah our whole world has changed and I love it. I'd know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I really wouldn't. But I saw that memory today and I was like, oh, I remember, remember lockdown one when everything was nice and, <laughs> <laughs> nice and relaxed and I was sat in the garden and it was sunny. It was sunnier last year. And I, I was kind of thinking that, yeah, everything changed, you know. Um, and, and again, I will stress, I wouldn't change it for the world, but... Yeah, it, it's funny. It isn't owning a dog is not a is not always a, oh think of all the dopamine hits I'm going to get all day long. It's not that. Um, very rarely is it that. But um, it, I, th- I think that's how it's portrayed. Yeah, it yeah. really is. And I think um, there there's a lot of 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 um, bad salesmanship from um, maybe some some rescue organizations you know all dogs aren't created equal anyway so yes you might see some stoic bomb-proof labrador trotting alongside their owner and and helping them day-to-day life but it doesn't mean that your traumatized puppy farm you know ex-breeding bitch is going to do the same to that person's lifestyle um and it's it's so hard you know the heartbreaking thing is when you go in as a professional and you just know that it's not it's that the expectations are not being met yeah so the the introduction of this book is you need to understand this stuff because you need to have realistic expectations of what your dog is actually going to bring to your life and how you're going to achieve that and what work you need to put in to Mm. achieve that and what a lot of people don't realize and one chapter is called Prevention is Better Than Cure because it's mostly about before you even get the dog, it's possibly all gone wrong. Mm. And there's this idea um, that I hear all the time that, oh, but if I could just take the dog, I would love it and I could I could turn this dog around. And it's all about being a good dog owner. If you're just a good dog owner. But how many people do we have that are excellent responsible dog owners who have problem dogs mm-hmm. it's not that they weren't a good dog owner they mm. are doing everything in their power they have done everything in their power but a lot of the time all, all this stuff i mean and we know this we know the importance of socialization breeding for temperament all of those things but the general public why would they know this they haven't got the time to look through all the the evidence mm-hmm. the scientific evidence on this they they just want a loving family pet mm. and they, by hopefully by reading this book it will set people up to make better intentional choices about where they're going to get the dog from, what they're going to do with it straight away, um, what type of dog they're going to get, make sure they go to training classes and things like that so that we hopefully have less of a problem. But then if problems develop, to, to, to say this isn't just your fault, you know, dog ran up and attacked your dog. It's now reactive around other dogs. It's not your fault. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, life Stop is its own. people yeah. for having a bad dog. Yeah, yeah, that's something that's been really... I've struggled with that a lot recently because it's so easy to fall into that trap of... Especially when, like, lockdown was easing about all of these people that are now coming out of the, you know, the woodwork with the dogs that haven't been able to be socialised that we got as puppies during lockdown. And, of course, there is an element of that. I'm experiencing that right now while part of the reason i'm working sort of 10 hour days at the moment but i 
you know, you got to approach these things from a place of empathy to start with, or or you're just, you know, you, what's the point in doing it? You know, um, and I, I, you see so many like Facebook discussions and things like that about, you know, how bad some dog owners are and how quick we are to sort of pile all of that pressure onto people. And everyone I've ever worked with just wants to do their best. You know, they just yeah. really, really want to do their best. They haven't got, got a dog and thought, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get this dog and turn it into the worst dog in the world. That's what I would like to do. No one's doing that. And, you know, we, we miss the human element of it so much. I mean, I could go on a rant about that all day long, but it's something that I've really, I think the, the pandemic has caused so many things. You know, our empathy buckets are drained. We were talking about this the other day, weren't we, Nat? And mm. I, I think you've got to be careful going back out there, especially as a dog trainer or any person, any, any interactions with anyone, you know, that we're not all just, you know, well, you're running on empty i think that's a really um a really really good point yeah, yeah. And, sorry go on. i've said that so for that reason there is a whole chapter of the book called pets and pandemics oh really mm -hmm. oh wow yeah i so, wish i, I um, wish i'd read the book carrie you'll know <laughs> love it i think you'd enjoy it <laughs> for, for that reason so summarizing some of the evidence that had been published by this point i mean the uh, and some of the studies that we've done that haven't even been published yet. There's lots of unpublished data in this that, you know, I'm like, well, it's important to write about. So I've managed to write the book before I finish the paper. Um, but yeah, so some of it is about how important our animals have been to us during this time. And I totally love the fact that people have decided my life has changed. This pandemic is affecting me. I need a dog in my life going forward. That's brilliant. But I very also strongly say, if you've read all the other chapters in the book, you'll understand me why I say this is not the time that you should mm. be getting a dog because it's setting up for problems. So it also gives advice as, as what to what to do. Um, and again, there's I mean, and there's lots of resources in the book um, donated by people, basically, um, that have said, yeah, you can put that in the book, that a bit of advice sheet, that thing I've created. So or I'm pointing people to where to go for better resources because you can't put it all in. You just can't fit it all in. No. Uh, just looking I, at the um, massive. the puppy pathway. It's a really yes. nice sort of flow diagram of how on earth can you try and find a responsibly bred pedigree puppy? Yes. Um, and, and like you say, uh, you never know what that pup is then going to experience. So mm. I think we've also been missold the premise that that all puppies are a blank canvas that oh, we yeah. mould into the dog they become. And it's just a complete fallacy. You know, I've, I've had a couple of my dogs, they're all rescues, but I've had a couple of them from young enough where they're going to be who they're going to be. Yeah, you know, definitely. they've already experienced what they're going to experience. Um, and I just do my best to kind of mould them into the best version of themselves. But I think a lot of people go into it with, with blinkers on. Um, <laughs> and it's really hard isn't it to, to I mean Steve knows this because you still do puppy classes but it's it's really hard to get that um kind of keenness before the puppy has landed oh. um because people have an idea in their mind they want a certain breed even though it doesn't necessarily go with their lifestyle and I think we've got a lot of work to do uh of the preventative stuff and I think there's loads of stuff in the book that I just wish everybody even thinking that they might have a dog one day would, would read. 
and that that's what I wanted to write. I mean, when I first um, went to um, the agent and he said, you know, why do you want to write this book? And I said, because because there's all this information in here. And if only other people knew the stuff that me and other people knew, then hopefully we could prevent so many problems from surfacing in the first place. Um, and also, I, you know, I, if I've got a book, when people keep asking me questions, I can just say, read the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to keep repeating yeah. the same answers. Yeah. Um, so hopefully I want it to be a really useful resource, particularly for anybody who wants to get, get a dog. Because why would you not want to get a dog for the reasons that you want it to benefit your life? But mm-hmm. also for people who are thinking about their dog's role as an assistance animal, potentially. Okay. Um, if they've got particular, you know, most people have, you know, there's not anybody really that doesn't suffer from some sort of chronic issue in some in some form. It's fairly normal. And are there things that our dogs can be trained to do to help us with that? But, you know, then also there's that level of do I actually need an, an assistance dog? Do I have a disability? What do I need to think about if I want my dog to become an assistance dog? Because a lot of people are getting dogs for that purpose these days because there's just not the capacity of the charities to train up enough dogs to, to mm. place with people. Um, and so this is um, this is an, a, a potential animal welfare issue if you don't understand yeah. what the welfare implications are of asking a dog to work at that level and go into lots of public places and things. So it's hopefully a, a great foundation book for anybody who's wanting, thinking about either training their own dog as an assistance animal or getting one from the from the charities. That's certainly a question I get asked a lot. It comes up a lot. So yeah, it'd be really it'd be a really useful resource to point people to. Yeah. So you can say as trainers, someone comes to you and says, "I um oh I've got this dog, or I want to get a dog to help with my son's autism, or." to to help me with my mental health or whatever and you can say read this book first then come back to me and we'll chat because <laughs> once yeah. you're taking in the concepts in those books then we've got a level that of understanding that we can work on together and i'd strongly recommend that people work with animal professionals to do that and not try and do do these sorts of things on their own we need the support and people who and trainers who want to move into the field of getting helping people train assistance animals might find the book useful as well if they've not had any experience of that before i i say this with extreme trepidation but i think <laughs> here, here i go um uh but yeah, I'm th- just, hang on i'll just get comfy <laughs> what is he gonna say no 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 it's not it's nothing bad but <laughs> i i think sometimes th- like books like uh, don't get me wrong i love this book so maria if you're listening um but yeah. books like dr dogs what maybe where um and not just dr dogs other ones as well um maybe this idea that that dogs are superheroes and they can you, they can do amazing things, which of course they can, um, leads the general public to the idea that every dog is going to be an assistance dog of some description. And let's be honest, it, it it's a very specific type of dog Absolutely. that can go forth to be an assistance dog. And you know, when when you get that call from the someone who's got, I would like to do um, a training consultation for my, you know. Um, you know, reactive. Like, My Belgian Malinois. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. then I would also like, you know, in the future, do you do anything about assistance dogs? Because, you know, I'd also quite like him to be an assistance dog at some point. And yeah. you're like, okay, you need to seriously manage those expectations yes. a little bit. Um, I think Again, there's a bit of a disservice. Go read that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go read that book. Yeah, and that is absolutely my argument. You know, 
from working at an assistance dog charity, these dogs had, um, well, some of them were rescued, but some of them have been bred specifically for the role. They've been then selected as being hopefully appropriate for the role. They've then had, you know, eight months-ish, six to eight months-ish with a, uh, a socialization trainer. They then come in for another assessment. Mm. They've then hit the point where they're having their training with the uh, with the training instructor. And even then, we say, no, mm. this yeah. dog, it's not suitable. And it might not be because the dog can't do the work. So I tell a story in the book about um, a dog that we had. She was good. She got trained. She went out with a hand that she just kept coming back in for more training. She And it turns out she just didn't want to be an assistance dog. Mm-hmm. And then we pulled her from the program eventually. Uh, and one of the trainers took her home. Different dog. Just complete different demeanor. When she did not have that expectation on her that she needed to be working she just changed into a different dog and had a, a fantastic happy life. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a you know it's stressful having taken assistance dogs on the underground, uh, through supermarkets, on lifts, um, elevators, um, the same thing on the escalators. Mm-hmm. You know, until you've taken a dog into those situations, you don't appreciate how stressful those situations are for dogs. Um, they're stressful enough for us as humans and if we're then relying on our dogs to relieve our stress in those situations by their presence they have to be absolutely bomb-proof dogs Mm. in order to be able to fulfill that function and I'm not saying that somebody's pet dog isn't capable of that because some of them are but most of them aren't and please just train your dog some cool tricks to help you around the house mm. and enjoy your dog for who they are rather than putting massive expectations on them. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think I, I did a bit of a stint uh, in assistance dog work and I realised it wasn't for me because it, um, I couldn't, I realise that the enjoyment I get is more from a kind of ethological, uh, natural behaviour type yeah. observation of dogs. There's not, there's not natural behaviour when you're no, working with assistance dog. <laughs> honestly, I thought I was um, quite frivolous with the food I give out to my dogs, but you've got to be on it. And I was, I was knackered. So I can only imagine what the dogs are feeling because they've got to be on it all the time. And, and mm. you're right, it's, it is a lot of pressure and you... Uh, I, I, you know, I've known people that work for assistance dog charities and they just get an eye for what dogs are going to work through yeah. the programme and what aren't. Um, Which is why you need that support from, yeah. from those charities. And those charities can take your dog and train it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we, we've done that in the past. It's not necessarily advertised, but if the if you already have a dog that is suitable for the work, that can happen. Mm. Um, Particularly with um, uh, alert dogs. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of um, companion dogs will start sort of alerting, um, yeah. and so it's then putting that in the in the the framework of a a positive yeah. experience for the dog. Because I think I, I wonder sometimes when there are um, kind of pet dogs that start alerting, is it because they're worried about what's going on? And actually, what you want in a in a um, 
in a medical assistance dog is someone that is happy with the alert, not going, oh my God, that smell yeah. means she's going to fall down the stairs. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it has to be very carefully trained. And and it, oh, I mean, this is the argument throughout the book as to why all this is so important. You know, with all training, it's important. But if you're going to train your dog to assist to help with your health, it has to be reward-based. Mm-hmm. Because A, they've got to do it when you're not telling them to do it. They've got mm-hmm. to do it of their own accord. And B, for their welfare... It's going to be hard work and you, there's going to be some challenging things and they have to be really enjoying it. And, mm. and like you say, going, yes, she's about to pass out. <laughs> I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. I'm going to get a treat for this. Yeah. I'm going to tell her. And most dogs would freak out at that. Mm. But once you know that, even if that is your situation with your pet dog, you can hopefully then mm. start making your pet dog happier in situations when your health for whatever reason is is struggling in all sorts of situations for me is I have back problems um and my dogs you know they can be really annoying (laughs) (laughs) when you've got a bad back if your dog then yanks you on the lead and tries Mm -hmm. to pull after something um so there's things to get around but they can be really helpful so there is i'll share because it's you guys i'll share this but i've written it in the book anyway it's in the first chapter so i don't know why i'm worried about oversharing now <laughs> but i'm sat on the toilet i've got myself to the toilet from the bedroom somehow and i'm sat there and i knock the toilet roll off the holder and it just rolls away across the floor and i just cry because i i how am i going to get to it that's the other side of the bathroom and then I remember I've taught my dog a retrieve. <laughs> so call her. Thankfully, she's not shut away. She pops into the room. I say, go on, Roxy, fetch it. She goes and tiny little pug chihuahua goes, picks up a toilet roll, brings it over to me, drops it at my feet. And there I mean, is... how useful is that? Yeah. And she's, you know, that's not stressful for her. <laughs> that's the benefits of going to the toilet with the bathroom door open. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't ever lock the door if you've got a bad back and you're going to get stuck in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love little examples like that. You just think, yeah, that's what that's what cohabiting with another species should be about. You know, we all we're all having enjoyable little moments together. And and, and what you've just said, I think if I was to summarize the book, it and and actually my ethos when it comes to training dogs um it's the whole well-behaved versus obedient dogs and Mm. you know like with assistance dogs you can't be cueing them all the time because they're there to alert you um and I really think that I aim to do that with my dogs as well so that they can just chill out in certain places or you know they know their expectations I'm not having to uh, ask them to do things all the time that was a yeah revolution for me when I realized that difference between having a dog that could do everything you asked and having a dog that you didn't need to ask to do it because it was already doing the right thing it's like oh my god life is so much easier (laughs) if your dog's already already sitting before you cross the road or not that I'm forced that they do now but um yeah just those sorts of things and they also I, I talk a lot in the book about that idea of setting the dog up for success which I think is something that owners don't necessarily think about doing I mean what 
all these things, we can be critical of what owners do, but why would they know these things until you've been spent a lot of time watching people training dogs or training dogs yourself? You just wouldn't know how much easier it is to set your dog up to do the right thing in the first place rather than wait for them to make a mistake and then have to go in and correct them for it. Um, and so it's it's trying to get through, get those sorts of messages about how you build that relationship with your animal that's going to make your life easier and you're therefore going to enjoy being around your animal more and therefore be a happy dog owner. Yeah. It's, yeah, kind of the idea of, of the book. It's still still a tough sell, uh, even after all these years, the, the sort of management and prevention side of uh, of puppy owning. I, I I I still get it from time to time when you're sort of you're you're describing, you know, um, management for I don't know something like dog dog stealing stones in the garden, you know, uh, and and you know, and you're like, okay, well, maybe you know, let's 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 go out in the garden with your dog on a lead, and people sort of looking at you like, well, I mean, that's not it's not why I got a dog, so like I a, could, it's a cop you know, out. Yeah, yeah, like like it's a, like you're cheating. That's that's the kind of idea I get. Like this is cheating. This isn't training. This is cheating. Yeah. Anyone can put their dog on a lead and go in the garden. I want my dog to just not pick up stones. Can you yeah. tell me how to do that? And you just I, you... yeah, I think that comes from com- just complete lack of ethological needs of what dogs are. Mm. Really, and I think though it's harder when it's your own dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely so, for example, you know, as a trainer, I often say to you, if someone's asked me a question and I'm thinking, mm, what would I advise for that? And then I think, well, what? OK, what if this was my own dog? What would I be doing? But then oh, sometimes you have to flip that round and with your own dog. You're like, oh, I just why is he doing that? You yeah. know, how do I stop it? And then you think, OK, what would I advise someone? So Roxy has if I've been affected by never having any visitors to the house, she's super vigilant now. She's watching everything gone. She keeps barking. Uh, anything that moves pigeons whatever and so you know i can hear my husband shouting at her to stop and it's just it's day after day after day <laughs> <laughs> and i do it myself and then yeah, i'm like yeah. no come on think about this what do we do how about we don't leave her sat in the living room with huge french doors whilst she's mm-hmm. just whilst we're working and we just actually Use the baby gate to shut her in the bit where she can't watch for pigeons out the window. Miraculously, she now rarely, well, she's better at not barking at things. And then when we're with her, if she sees something, we can reward that behaviour of not barking. So yeah. if she spots something, you can say, oh, good girl, reward it. If you're not there, she's just going to end up going yeah. and barking. But you, it's very hard to see with your own animals. You're so emotionally entwined yeah. with them. About, so I've, it's about taking that step, that step back. It's easy for us to 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 say as professionals when you're looking at other things, but we can't even, yeah, we struggle to do it with our own animals, and that's that's just an example. I had to say to myself, right, okay, what would I do? How can I set her up for success? How about mm-hmm. not staring out the window for three hours whilst we're upstairs <laughs> working? That might set her up for success better. <laughs> I I've got a a we um. I had some new neighbours that moved in recently and they've started feeding the birds in their garden. Brilliant. Great. But that has meant that 
a what well, I will describe as an army of squirrels has descended upon the oak tree in the back of our garden. I've never seen so many of these little things. I tell them I quite like a squirrel, but we we have a Jack Russell and we'd got her to the point where barking in the garden was really good. It was almost like a not like it wasn't a problem anymore. And then suddenly, and we just, we talk about management. We had the film up on the on the bottom yeah. of our French doors. So she just couldn't see. Brilliant. Management problem. Excellent. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. cheat. It's not cheating, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but we'd just taken it off just before the, the people <laughs> moved in. We're like, yay, we solved the problem. Now, of course, um, th- there's there's a big issue. And, and I remember before we actually launched in to doing something about it, there was a good two weeks of just me and Corin looking at each other going, oh, for God's sake, you know what I mean? Like, just despair. There's about two weeks of what can be described as despair. But when we actually started doing something about it, again, you know, let's let's film back up, you know. Um, Corin has been, been doing the counting game with her, which has worked absolute wonders. Um, but I'm, again, neighbours must think we're mental because every now and again, the, door, the back door's open and we're just going, one, two, three. And you hear this little jack like running back down down the stairs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting you said that because it, there was definitely a period of like, we know this, we do this, we advise this every day to people. But our own dog, you know, you can't see the wood for the tree sometimes. And I've tried to be quite vulnerable in the book that, there's a lot of professionals I've interviewed and it's and obviously loads of stories from myself and it's dog ownership is is hard and if you are struggling that is normal you know if you want to give up your puppy after the first week mm. it, don't think you're the worst owner in the world anyone that says Everybody they have never felt that it. is yeah. lying yeah uh, and you know if you put in the work you can achieve great things but it's yeah we need to be vulnerable we need to be much more open about this and stop Mm. saying well my dog's perfect no it's not no dog is perfect um it's always a work in progress but there's loads of tools and principles out there that can help you think about whatever problem comes your way what could be the possible i mean i can't put in the book you can't cover everything in fact the chapter on dealing with behavior problems isn't particularly long because it's not about how to deal with each behavior problem it's about how do we take what we know to the types of ways we might approach dealing with behaviour problems and please seek professional advice to help you mm-hmm. if you think you need to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's about being much more vulnerable and open and realistic about what dog ownership entails. Uh, and the good comes with some some bad, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but if people know that and they've got their eyes open... And it's the work that you put in that makes it worthwhile as well. It's that sense of mastery and achievement that comes with working with a dog to train it to do particular things, to train it to do simple training tasks, Mm. let alone complex ones even, um, or to help them through a behaviour problem. It isn't the end of the world. And you will, even though it will be hard, you will receive, you will get some benefits from it personally yourself but possibly in ways that you didn't yeah quite expect but some of the stuff is really simple like um so my uh there's a p uh there's a pr person who's helping me um arrange interviews and things about the book she says i read the book i loved it i've already put some advice into place with my dog and i thought 
what what advice this is really interesting what she said she, she said yeah it's working really well I'm thinking something I've said worked this is amazing <laughs> you know normally you don't hear back when things work yeah. you only hear back from people when it didn't work as behaviors and trainers and she says yeah my dog um is it doesn't like um doesn't like cockapoos um I thought well Fair enough. Um, <laughs> some, of the, some of them aren't the best behaved. There's a lot of them around. But mm. yeah, she, she doesn't like cockapoos. So, so, so what do you say? Well, your advice to take a treat when she sees the cockapoo, I get out a treat. And she's great now. She doesn't bark. And to me, that seems so simple. Yeah. She, mm. she said, I had never thought of getting a treat out. And it's just, she says, it's just her food treats that she has as a normal kibble. She had never thought of doing that until I read the book. So sometimes you think, there's complex information that people need. actually sometimes it's just that you just don't think of it until you see it there in front of you. And I hope that people can find loads of inspiration from the book about how they can deal with different, different problems. Yeah. I know they will. Cause it's really amazingly written and, you know, a really approachable style where you can just, start reading and before you know it you've you're three chapters in i feel really excited so. about reading it I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like i've missed out on something now you have yeah. i enjoyed writing it because i didn't have to write lots of sciencey yeah. really hard writing it's a different like, type of writing, tell a story this time yeah um, and i'd never realized that i would enjoy writing something like that but in the middle of a pandemic when you're freaking out about everything it's been quite cathartic to be able to actually sit down and do something and achieve something that's achievable mm. like you know writing grant funding and you know grant funding applications complex scientific papers your brain's just not it's just yeah that's really challenging the past year but this I could do and I could see it had a purpose and it was much more fun to write stories about people and their dogs. Mm. I can, like, when I was reading through, I could hear your voice and, like, the way the way you would have a chat with a client or someone talking through a case, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Well done. You should be Thanks. very proud of yourself. And I know that a lot of, um, hopefully, prospective dog owners are going to benefit um but definitely people that that have a dog in their life um will take a lot home from from reading it um and it's almost like a sort of acceptance and less is more approach isn't it it's not uh do this 20 times a day and then you'll have the perfect dog it's it's more about us living in in harmony together and you know making sure that their needs are met mm. So how do we tackle that issue? I mean, it'd be great if people who are thinking about getting a dog read this book first. Yeah. Mm. But like you say, they come along to the dog training classes. Well, they try and book in when they've already got the puppy. Yep. And you've got a three-month waiting list. Yep. And then they end up doing your dog course rather than your puppy course because the dog's too old. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we've all been there. How – this is a general question. Do we, how do we, do we to, get people before – do we go to breeders and we ask anyone that um, applies for one of their planned litters has to read that book? Mm. Maybe that book, but, you know, how good is there a service? 
I mean, how many people do pre-puppy? Uh, do you know what? It's so it? few that I, yeah. I gush when people book in. I, yeah. I, I, I'm almost too much. I'm almost like, well done, you. Well done. I'm, mm. I'd, I'd send them a badge if I could. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I would. Yeah. In, in my career so far, I've had one person contact me because they wanted a dog and they wanted me to help them source the right dog for their lifestyle. Mm. Amazing. And they are amazing. They are the the best owners I've ever worked with. Um, uh, and it just worked. And I wish we could do that more. But maybe people don't know that that's available to them. No, um, uh, that, that's the issue. And I get what you're saying, Carrie. It's like, is there, I always like have these, these, uh, sort of fantasies about sort of like some public service like adverts on television or mm. something like that or you know like almost like drink you know like you know we do things about drink driving and stuff like that mm. why why are we not i mean that might sound a bit or like drastic. antenatal classes you know you yeah. get well i suppose you're pregnant by then aren't you but you know you it's, it's at least some form of preparation isn't it yeah it's not preparation for having a baby though it's just preparation for labor <laughs> and then you have you have no control over that anyway but i mean in all fairness people will probably do more preparation and training when getting a dog than they do when they're having a baby probably yeah yeah that's a really uh, good in terms of learning what you're supposed to do how you're supposed to bring up a child you know you don't go to child training classes no yeah, so how are we, how, if we don't do it for our own species, how are we going to do it? That's what worries me. Yeah. You're always on the back foot. Just, that's kind of the sort of the, the way it is, isn't it? I mean, mm. I, you know, I maybe it's just again well it's got to be isn't it it's got to be education isn't it it's got to be get get the get the young'uns get the young'uns in get them more aware of 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 the of the the idea of setting yourself up for success when you're going to thinking about doing something mm. the preparation but how you do that yeah perhaps the first time dog owners will be more um open to seeking advice the problem is is that where do you go to get advice because there's so much varying Oh, forms of yes. advice on the internet um and then that's one of the other reasons why i say in the book you know hopefully you'll be able to evaluate things that you see and read and hear in other places now as to whether you think they're they're right for you for you and your dog but interestingly when we were training assistance dogs it was the people who were first-time dog owners who um were it was often easier because they didn't have preconceived ideas of how their dog should be and how they were going to train it and things yeah. like that. Cause that's what they've done with the, with their other dogs. They're generally more open to things, but those people that have, have had dogs all my life. So I'm just going to get another one in the same way that I've had my other dog. Yeah. That's but, quite yeah. hard to. Yeah. I get a lot of that. <laughs> a lot of it I'll, I'll tell you what the really lovely is that the person that gave you the feedback about the sort of like yeah i just get a biscuit out whenever i see a, a cockapoo you could you could harp on for 45 minutes about ivan pavlov and you know what, what's going on there <laughs> but actually you know just a sentence of yeah when you see a cockapoo get a biscuit out give them a biscuit you know and you know that might change someone's world just that little yeah. bit so there's there's lots uh, of yeah yeah, I, I love that. I love the fact that they gave you that feedback. That's brilliant. That must have felt really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was because there wasn't many people who had read the book by that point. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's that sort of level. I mean, I do go into some of the science, sure, but sure. it's yeah. I think I think we can often make training 
far too complicated even as a dog trainer I'm like mm, I just know that when I do this the dog does that and when I do this the dog does that and I'll stick with that interpretation rather than thinking about what I've reinforced at what interval that's I don't find that helpful to me as a <laughs> even as a dog trainer sometimes yeah I had a bit of an epiphany when we were talking to Shrag Nat the other day um because we were watching his tv show cats and dogs at war yes and I and I I asked him a question about I noticed that you didn't use any like markers or anything like that and obviously now the answer coming back was you know why am I going to muddy the waters with that when it could be see a cockapoo give him a biscuit do you know what I mean it's (laughs) it's you know it's it really but that's our job isn't it that's our job to to know all of that stuff and kind of sound like we are just chatting and oh what about Mm. this but it is backed up by masses and masses of knowledge and experience and expertise um and you know hopefully that that more personable approach means that people actually give it a go yeah that's what i think anyway i just because common sense isn't common and often with something as simple as yeah giving the the dog a treat when they see a cockapoo or I had a case today where the dog's eating her own poo in the garden so um okay well now she's on a long line in the garden so you can coax her away (laughs) and you know those really simple steps which are the first step of management can sometimes sometimes we make things more complicated than they need to be that's the new that's the new jumper isn't it see a cockapoo give it a biscuit <laughs> it's a new one. It's a new merch. <laughs> I hope she's all right when we're talking about this. <laughs> no, I... it wasn't interesting. Yeah, for me that that was interesting feedback because I just you know, for how, why would you not think to do that? I with, you know, twenty years in this profession, that's just what we would immediately think to do. But mm-hmm. some people, they, well, they wouldn't because nobody's ever but given them what... that idea before. Yeah. And that's why it's so hard to write it all down because a lot of our stuff, I think, becomes muscle memory. Mm. You know, if you're raising, if you're raising a, a dog or you've got a new dog in your, your home, how I walk a dog is completely different to how most people would. And I wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. But just that kind of coaching can be really useful for people as well. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, there, there just comes a point in your kind of career, I think, or your experience where you, you're just doing it because that's what is the thing to do in that situation. Yeah. And it's easy to kind of forget that you've learned that along the way. Um, yeah, like things like just noticing that there's a corner coming up and there might be a dog coming around there. Yeah. And, you know, all that, all that preemptive stuff that I guess is ticking over in our heads, but we we forget that it's consciously there. Mm. I love, um, I can't remember where I read this, but um, someone described going for a walk with a dog as you're, you're in a dialogue with your dog. So you're, you're like, Oh, look, there's something over there. Well done. You notice that, you know, you know, all of these sorts of things. And that it's exactly how I, how I go out walking my dogs, especially in, you know, in public, I've gotten lucky enough to have my own sort of enclosed field. Um, but when I'm in public, there's a lot of this, this dialogue is constant between me and my, I'm not saying I'm just constantly like bugging them to do stuff, but you know, if she noticed things in the environment and looks back at me, there's reinforcement there for her. It's, it's a really lovely, it's a 
really nice experience when it's going mm. well <laughs> it's really really nice <laughs> yeah not so, not so good when it's not going so well but even even that still there's there's a dialogue there so I've, I've always liked that sort of I try and keep that in mind when I'm out walking especially the big newfie so some mm. of the research studies talk about like particularly with hunting dogs as well that extension of self and I mm. think that's that is what's happening on a walk as well they are wherever they are in front of you part of you is there with them yeah and mm. you are seeing what they see and noticing what what they notice hopefully if you're connecting if you're just listening to a podcast on your headphones <laughs> and ignoring your dog perhaps not but you know that might be the strategy you need to get yourself out on a walk mm. um but if you can be mindful and connecting with your dog that is very useful especially when it comes to noticing other people's yeah. dogs up ahead and oh that dog doesn't look like it it's he looks a bit worried by my one therefore i'll call mine away and things like that i think uh dog trainers might be uh some of the most vigilant people in the world i reckon if you stuck them in like a, a dodgy scenario like a like a uh i don't know like a nightclub that might kick off or something like that i reckon all the dog trainers in there would they would, <laughs> they would know where all the exits are they'd all be yeah. they'd, they'd already yeah. planned the escape route you know they probably wouldn't have gone in the first place let's be honest um but yeah no, they'd be at home with 10 dogs on their yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i want to i want to steer the conversation uh do a little bit of a right turn is that all right um yeah because you're a scientist right yeah and there's nothing that i like to talk about more than things that i know nothing about so um uh yeah so start so uh, the one thing that i remember reading once is that um a lot of studies that are done with dogs are done on quite small sample sets is that true um or does that cause problems yes yes so um so in order to it depends what your research question is if Mm -hmm. you're doing qualitative research trying to get an in-depth understanding of a particular phenomena, particular perceptions, behaviours, then a small data set is fine. Mm. You're not trying to be representative and you're not looking for to do any statistics. But if, you, if you're wanting to detect a, a statistical effect, you know, is this statistically significant, yeah. then your effect size needs to be rather large on a small sample. And the bigger the sample is, the smaller changes you're able to to statistically detect and the problem that we've had in the field in the past and um, when it comes to the human health stuff is yes the first few studies were small because studies are costly mm. and a lot of the research that was done at the beginning you know people were health researchers or dog welfare researchers whatever and their studies of human animal interaction were kind of excuse the pun pet projects their sidelines of their main research and I'm a rare person who's my, my full-time career is about studying human animal interactions. Most people. So, uh, you know, a lot of the colleagues I collaborate with because they are experts in their field of physical activity or psychology, you know, the pet stuff that they do is a little, it's a side part of their main, their main stuff. Um, and there often isn't funding for those side projects. It's because you find them particularly interesting that you're mm. doing them. So you're having to do them small scale. You're having to do them on a budget. But having said that, in the past sort of 10 years, the type of data sets we've now got availability to work on. So, you know, the entire of the Swedish population, we now have data 
and relating to human-animal interactions because the Swedes are fantastic in that they all have a personal ID number that is linked to their health records. And they all that personal ID number is linked to their dog license. Uh, so we know exactly where, and they follow the rules generally and most of the dogs are licensed. So you know who owns a dog and who doesn't, and you know who lives in a household with somebody who owns a dog. And so you know whether someone lives with a dog and you also know exactly what health conditions and um, they've got what prescriptions they've been wow. given and all sorts. What an and amazing so we're talking. Um, yeah. So people are, you know, when people are afraid about big data, why do researchers want my data? We're not interested in you. We don't want to know that you've been prescribed X. What we need to do is mass these big data sets so that we can look for the trends and things. And then, you know, we can start to see things like um, with the, the Swedish data, for example, you know, reduced um, cardiovascular disease uh, and cardiovascular deaths in people who live with a dog, especially if they're the only person in that household. So they're probably the ones having to walk it. And if their dog is of a hunting type breed is the way they categorized it in, in one of those studies. Um, so that's research by Tuva Fall um, and in Uppsala University. And, you know, it's now we're getting access to those sorts of things because in the past, another really annoying problem is that even if we've got big health cohorts, so there are quite a few studies of people sign up and they're followed for years and years and years and they provide surveys every year about all their health conditions and stuff and it might be linked to their medical records but a lot of them haven't even asked whether they own a pet if they ask whether they own a pet they don't ask what type of pet it is we don't have data on what breed it is we don't have data on their intensity of relationship that they have with that animal so they may not be emotionally close or interact with that animal a lot at all so how are we supposed to do research on something that is in our homes affecting our lives massively and our health and well-being massively? You to ask any dog owner or any pet owner and they will say it affects me. But a lot of the research data that's collected didn't take that into consideration whatsoever, which is astounding. But it's getting better. But there's still a lot. That's why we still have a lot of unanswered questions around the impacts of pets on our health. Because the data just hasn't really been there. It's you know the, the question of sort of like gathering data. I mean that that seems pertinent at the moment. Maybe maybe I've got the wrong end of the stick here, but like you thinking about things like vaccine passports and stuff like that, and people mm. not willing to give up certain amounts of data for for certain things, and imagining that you're losing your public freedoms. And and don't get me wrong, I love my public freedoms, but um yeah it's. It, yeah, I, I mean, is, has that has that surprised you going off on a bit of a tangent here? But, you know, this sort of science has been in the forefront for the last 12 months, hasn't it? Um, in terms of the pandemic and, and all of those things. Um, has, has that kind of surprised you how it's been portrayed in the media? And again, mm. something that's sort of really, um, really pertinent at the moment, again, is the sort of like the the amount of, um, well, there's AstraZeneca jab and potentially getting the, this thrombosis thing, which is a very tiny, like, teeny, teeny, tiny chance of getting it. But exactly. suddenly, yeah, and you know, I, I think I heard something today that if you if you read the, the insert of your paracetamol packet and um, look at the sort of side effects that you may get from, from chomping which one no of them. Which no one then. ever does. Yeah, and, yes, and you probably you wouldn't know, take them if you did. 
Our perception of risk, I Mm. think, is really, really interesting in this. And there are lessons to be learned about what understanding people have of the science. The, The good thing is that people, in some senses, have been more open and understanding about the need for science. Yeah. But people are less trustworthy of some of it, Mm. which it's hard because there obviously are a few people out to do bad things with data or out to twist things. But I genuinely haven't met a scientist that is in it for money or, you know, any kind of fame. They're in it because they want to understand the world and help inform policies and advice that will help people's lives. And sometimes we get it wrong because we have biases that are affecting our research, but we have so many peer review. um, Oh my God, to even get ethical approval to do a study these days is Mm. just such hard work. There are so many safeguards in place to stop these, you know, to stop science from having bad effects on people hopefully whether yeah. in the study or from the findings of the study i mean that's why we but part of it part of the problem has been self-imposed in that way in that scientists are reluctant to say there isn't it's just not a risk you should have the vaccine Mm. you know or the vaccine will stop this because we don't talk in those terms we talk in the terms of suggest and i may Mm. Uh, this may happen um this suggests that the evidence um you know is robust or whatever but they can't because we can't conclusively say because we can never conclusively prove that's what the basis of science is that we're always throwing out our hypotheses and saying statistically it's probably yeah the truth yeah but we can't well not we can't be anything but 95 percent sure because that's how statistics work but the general <laughs> public don't necessarily understand the way we're talking about mm. things and the way we're talking about risk and we know that perceptions of risk for new things is far far greater than things that we are used to to, to having so yeah, of course I mean, we've stopped the world for something that hasn't, it has affected a lot of people. It's tragic when it does affect them. But for most people, you feel rough for a couple of weeks Mm. and you recover perfectly fine. And that, that is just, it is fascinating. And particularly around schools and whether children should be in schools or whether they should be at home and the risks to the children and the risks to teachers. For example, there's just such interesting debates going on about how we perceive risk and interpret numbers and have, you know, the science. I'd be pretty miffed if I was a if I was a teacher, and I, I but I wasn't allowed in a pub. <laughs> I know it's yeah, and also like <laughs> look at how much we don't know about something like vaping. Mm. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. are all over it. Yeah, it's only been around for what five, ten years. God knows what well, that's going to cause long term. But smoking was smoking was good for us. Our grandparents were told mm. to smoke, and it's only through collecting the data and then analysing it. And I mean, this is part of the problem in that those um, you know tobacco companies perhaps weren't 
you know, they, they sort of fought against the data that was suggesting that it might be bad as it start, as that data started to come through, which can make people not trust things. But since then, there is so much more rigorous standards in place in terms of scientific reporting. Yeah, I, I think there's still a hangover. Trusting. Yeah. yeah, there's still a hangover from that. And and I what I see on forums and things uh, when people are non-academic people that don't understand all the ethical approval and funding are saying, yeah, but the research was funded by this company. So, of course, it's going to say that it just that's not the way it works. You, you, know, you can't go around. You can't get away with that now. No. You can be funded. I mean, so I've had funding from pet food companies to do research on human animal interactions. Mm. Without that funding, there would likely be no research on human animal yeah. interactions. Mm. Yeah. I then also got Medical Research Council funding later on, but it's only on the basis of these earlier projects yeah. that are funded by people who have a vested interest. Mm. That's not as a scientist. That's not to say. I mean, and I I want pets to be good for our health, but I will publish findings that say that they are not good for our health Mm -hmm. because that's what the data says and maybe I am too trusting and trusting that other scientists are like that Uh, but most of the ones I've met are it's just about explaining explaining the data um and the funders can't stop you know they don't they don't want to stop you from publishing they want to know as well Mm. otherwise they wouldn't be funding the research um but yeah it's it's an interesting issue I know people that Mm. wouldn't of taking the funding that I have, but I I wouldn't have a job now if I hadn't been mm. funded by pet food manufacturers for earlier positions, and we wouldn't have the knowledge that we have. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, it's preferable to get a research council funding, but how interested are they? I can keep arguing that pets are very important for our physical and mental health, and we have to study them, and they're in our homes affecting us all the time. And we need to understand the effects of that. But that's that is a big argument to make to a research council in the light of things like coronavirus and all sorts of mm-hmm. demands on their funding, mm. in particular. Are you? Uh, have you ever come across any studies asking for a friend that link um, <laughs> male pattern baldness with barking Jack Russells? <laughs> Just out of interest. Is it stress related? <laughs> I'll have to ask this friend. Oh no. One yeah, of the awesome. really interesting studies last year, um, I don't know why I made me think of this, but it did. Um, so I was involved in the in the study that came out last year that kind of throws everything up in the air as to how we're going to study human animal interactions and the in the effects they're having on us. So it makes sense that if you own a pet now, you probably owned a pet in the past, yeah, because you're kind of a pet. A pet person. Mm-hmm. So we knew that. We'd see that in data. So I've looked at birth cohort data where whether the child owned a pet now, uh, a risk factor for that is whether the mother owned pets as a child. That makes sense. So we, you think it's an environmental thing. If you've been brought up with animals, you've learned to like animals and you've been environmentally exposed to them. But again, Tuva Fall in Sweden um, has done research and she looked at twins. They looked at identical identical twins and non-identical twins and this is how you work out uh, how much uh, of a behavior or a factor is genetic Mm. versus environment because if you it's going to be more genetic if it's stronger linked between 
the ones that the people that are genetically identical as Mm -hmm. opposed to the ones that are not genetically identical but live in the same environment because the environment's going to be the same for both and turns out dog ownership is pretty highly inherited there's a genetic tendency for dog ownership that's interesting so what does that mean for whether you know the health benefits of owning a dog is it just that our genes that make us want to own dogs are also linked with certain good health well let's hope so Oh my god! Um, you've just blown my mind. It's Friday yeah. night, and my brain has fallen out of my head. I hope I hope I managed to explain that. I haven't. Yeah, no, no that was it. that. So, so yeah, so this is why we need studies that what that take a person, and then look at the changes that happen to them if they get a pet over time, and then it's the same person before and after. Because at the moment we're comparing people that have got dogs, for example, with people that don't have dogs, and looking at their depression scores. But it could be that genetically, dog ownership is linked to yeah. I, genetic I, tendencies well, for depression. Completely so, anecdotally, I'm, most people that I know that love dogs and make dogs their life have some kind of mental health issue that they're working through. That's a complete generalisation and not scientific at all. But I've often just, you know daydreamed about things like this and i just wonder whether there's some kind of extra empathetic compassion type uh personality trait that one uh, gravitates you towards non-human animals but also leads you vulnerable to anxiety depression Mm. all those things that that go hand in hand with being a more emotional person maybe i don't don't know that's fascinating It's kind of sad, but also really fascinating as well, isn't it? it really also, is. I just how, think... do you, how do you unpick it anyway? How do you even go? I mean, like just sitting here with no like, but how? Where, where do you sit in a room and go? Right, we need to we need to find this out. How would you even go about that? That's that's tricky. yeah. We need we need funding yeah. for larger studies uh, that are longitudinal and can t- try and show us causality. And, um, and so data the one way, as well. yeah, one yeah. way you would do that would be to so generally the way you work out causality is to randomly assign your intervention or treatment yeah so that it's no the only difference between two groups is whether or not they have the treatment mm-hmm. and and so it's been random as to whether they're allocated it or not and you give a placebo so something that looks like it's treatment but it's not so you can't consciously give that bias of thinking it's having an effect how do you do that with dog ownership mm. You can't randomly allocate who gets dogs and who doesn't. No. Possibly, probably not. It has been attempted in a couple of studies. Um, and you, you, if you've got a dog, you probably know you've got a dog. <laughs> a st- a stuff is not going to cut a dog. It. If you, there's not really a placebo dog. No. Um, so, yeah. So, how, so that means that they basically, well, there has been, there is a study going on at the moment where they're randomly allocating fostering a dog, uh, Katie Potter's work. Okay. Um, so I'm really excited about that because that blew my mind. I was like, again, I'm not a very creative person. Why did I not think of that? <laughs> um, there's so many studies. I just think, why did I not think of that? That was the best idea. Um, and there has been a study um, 
where with st- quite high stress stockbrokers, they randomly allocated them as to whether they could get a pet or not. It was quite a small study. But yeah, generally, in a large scale study, it's not really going to happen. You could randomly allocate being advised to get a pet, but you probably couldn't randomly allocate them actually getting a pet. No, ethically, um, it's kind of a. But then, you know, then there's weirdos like me that would happily give up all the data, take my DNA, do whatever you need to, use me as a, a guinea pig, because I'm always trying to put my dogs on forms. No one cares. Unless you have human children, no one cares that you have dogs. <laughs> Uh, there's no tick box. There's no bracket. I t- uh, the, the solicitor, we've just written our will, <laughs> our wills. And uh, the solicitor found it hilarious that we wanted to put provision for our dogs in our wills. You are the first person that I've, I interviewed someone who had uh, their, their dogs in their, yeah. in their wills. And well, and the person who's going to look after the dog was going to in, inherit. Yeah, that's all you can do. You dogs. can't yeah. actually put their names in. You can't. Um, you you can't give money t- that goes along with the dog. You have to give a named person <laughs> a, a certain amount of money that will provide for the dog. Oh, yeah. Uh, am, I it, yeah am I the no, weirdo? No, you're not. Lots of pe- <laughs> people have done it, and I mean, you are a weirdo, but <laughs> I am a weirdo. Okay, that, that's not in question. You're not, not the only not in this instance. <laughs> <laughs> but it, how important are dogs to us? Then it's so important. Um, I want to know how many people put their dogs on the census. I really, really mm. hope uh, every time we say, "Can we not put pet ownership on the census?" Because how on earth can we study something? Mm. that we don't know where they are like in sweden we know where the dogs are therefore we can study the effects they're having do you we know don't what know. that didn't even occur occur to me when i was filling so i senses. used to be against the idea of a dog license and everything like that mm. but now i can see the reason for it from it would, a data, it, point, it, of from view, a data yeah. point of view it would be really really useful to study who's got dogs and what effects they're having mm. what about microchipping data well, it's all, all, it's all been lost, isn't it? We all know how reliable microchipping <laughs> yeah. has worked in terms of data. Mm. So yeah. that was raised at one point when they said they were going to make it compulsory for dogs to be microchipped. But then we all know that went very, very well. Mm. Oh, my word. I could t- I could literally talk to you all night long. Um, I know this has been really, really interesting. I haven't even read the book yet. I got, I, I well, the happy dog owner. I, pfft, yeah, I'm going to go and read it. So everyone else, should we do it? Yeah, we're because um, I'm conscious of time. So, um, do you want to do a bit of a plug, Carrie? Where can people find this wonderful book of yours? Um, what reminder of the launch date? And do you have a website? How can people find out more yeah, about your so, fascinating uh, career? It's comes out on the 15th of April but it's available for pre-order now and pre-orders are really helpful because all the pre-orders I think count in the first week of sales Mm -hmm. so that means you can get them up the charts and once things get high up the charts it then gets noticed oh okay so so it's kind of kind of yeah it's a self-fulfilling yeah yeah um so yeah yes but any basically all the bookshops uh online and in person all the main bookshops uh have it available so whichever you would prefer to to order through really um and i hope people enjoy it as much as i enjoyed writing it really i'm sure sure they they will will. i'm sure they will 
Yeah. 100. And we'll have to have you back once Steve's read it. Yes, that would be lovely. <laughs> once, once anyone's really read it, I'd like, well, basically, if you've got any criticisms, just write them down and I'll save them. I'm not reading them until I read a second edition. Um, Are you, you in a anything... bit of a weird sort of limbo at the moment <laughs> where you're thinking, wow, what, how's it going to go? Well, I think, yeah, I sat here and I ranted into my computer for a, <laughs> a year and, and now I'm wondering if I'm going to regret saying anything. Uh, I did get a few people like yourself to to check it just in case yeah. there was yeah. anything you know, don't say that and nobody said there was any problems no um, but yeah, yeah it it would be it would be great to actually hear people's feedback in particular how it's been helpful and if it's been helpful and what would be useful to know more on because I'm having to judge what should be in there and what shouldn't be in there and what people find helpful and what they didn't understand it's quite hard to describe training techniques in a book mm. in yeah. written form yeah but that's going to be a challenge mm. and we'll probably need some work but it's, i am aware of it's that. nice <laughs> that it's kind of a, a a fluid thing it's not like it's just published it's out the you know the the considerations for your second editions and things I yeah like i, I like went it. with this publisher i went with this publisher because they said we do like to um revise books into second editions yeah, rather than just really constantly nice. thinking about new books yeah yeah, that's um, really. If, nice. it, you know, if it sells, things are things change, don't they? And yeah. you know, there's nothing in there that that would be shocking in five or ten years' time. But you never you'd, know. You, well, yeah, you'd add things in or say them slightly differently. So yeah. there we go, bookshelvers. That's your challenge. Carrie would like your feedback. So go and buy the book. Um, don't do what Steve does and write in the book, please. But Why? maybe make some notes on a separate piece of paper. Nat, I, I can't, I can't, Nat can't stand hates it because I write in books. I, I write in pencil, Nat. Uh, but really, what she really hates is that she got me to buy, because she hates me writing in books so much, she got me to buy, hang on, over here. Well, here's Dr. Dogs. So she got me to buy these little bookmarks. <laughs> oh, okay? yeah. I use those. That's what yeah. I do. I do I do little pencil underlines and then put those little... Well, that's what I did. So I, that, each one of them indicates a page that I've written on in the book, basically. Yeah. So I can just turn to it and let me read it. But I'm not... Apparently, I'm not allowed to do that anymore. No, you, you can... I'll tell you what. Do what you want in your own books. Just don't ever do it to I think, a book I think that that's it. I think that's it. I think she's paranoid because she's lent me quite a few books and I've got a few up yeah. there on the bookshelf. I think she's paranoid that I'm going to... I am. Yeah, don't really write in someone else's. It's just a bit against the law, isn't it, really? Um... <laughs> okay, right. Well, shall we say fake bye before we say proper bye? We need to take a photograph as well. But oh, yeah. yeah, we do. Let's do that. Let's do a lovely photo. Okay. Um, three, two, one. Lovely. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, do, oh, I look demented in that photo. <laughs> Hang on. Can we do another one? Because I went a bit too far with my smiley face. Okay, one, two, three. Yeah, that's slightly less that's crazy dogs in her will, lady. Um... <laughs> right, are we ready for a fake bye then? Yeah, so okay. don't go. <laughs> yeah, don't go. Fake bye. Bye. Okay, bye. bye. Thanks for having me. Bye. Atoms collide, our cells divide, just like they've all.
apply this right has just begun and here at the end of a line that stretches back through all time time guided by a primal desire to simply survive survive you can't keep it down you It grows.